Hey, happy Wednesday. Welcome to the Common Good Podcast, July 13th edition. Dan, good to be back. It feels like for all of July, we've been off from the podcast. That wasn't on purpose, but it sure seems that way. So finally, by the 13th, we got ourselves... Yeah, we're back. Back back in the saddle. But hour for hour, I mean, if you add up all the hours of podcasting we did in July, it's... It's up there. Yeah. We did a twelve-hour common goodathon. That 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 was nearly made of, up for it. A lot of banked hours uh, <laughs> on that one. Have we turned that into a podcast? Have we turned that whole uh, rambling nonsense into something somebody just could a just listen? Twelve-hour stream of audio and YouTube chaos. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, we should probably just post up that all into one audio file. Just twelve hours, so someone you know like rolls yeah. into the next yeah. podcast. And they're like. <laughs> First of all, what's happening? Well, we'll tell people what happened. We did a common good-a-thon. We invited, I think, 39 different guests on for 12 hours last Thursday, 7th of July, and uh, started at noon Eastern, went till new, uh, midnight Eastern, and had guests on and uh, interviews and common goodery and talk and made a fundraiser out of it. And, and by the way, we are we are narrowing in on our $50,000 that we're wanting to match. So if anybody wants to help us match that by the 15th, which is our goal for our donor match, that would be great. I think we're at 30000 or something. I mean, we still have $12,000 to go. So I, it, it was an ambitious goal. And so, you know, when you get within $12,000 of a $50,000 goal, it feels like, hey, we're close. Yeah. And then it's like a long car ride where you're thinking, <laughs> no, we're, we're, or, you know, it's like, it's like a long ride across hours. the country. You ride across the country and you finally, you know, get all the way to Louisiana and you're like, wow, we're really narrowing in on Florida from riding from California. My personal experience, I can tell you. <laughs> oh, it turns no, no, out no, there's least. several more whole states to get there. Yeah, still two weeks to go. Yeah. Uh, but we're close. We're closer than we were, uh, but still a long way to go. Yep. Hey, how's the weather there in South Bend? It's a little overcast today, but otherwise lovely. I have I have an app on my watch, my Apple Watch, that I don't know why I have. I don't know if it's tied to a application I already have or it's just built in. But I get these little narrative weather alerts that come up every morning that tell me about the day, and they're they're written with a short little paragraph enough to read on a watch, like a perfectly summer day or a classic summer day or a windy day, a little story. It's not, it's not just like the data and it said today, the ideal Minnesota summer day uh, today, <laughs> low humidity, 82 degrees, light breezes, sun big as the sky. It's just great. And what am I doing on this beautiful morning? Sitting in, sitting in my basement, staring out a Garden level window, the basement, the to sneak bunker in of resistance. That's right. Well, good morning, Jim. Uh, good to see you. And Jim, by the way, Jim Eaton should receive all kinds of award uh, for uh, sticking with us all the way through the twelve hours. In fact, Jim, shoot me a note. I was not kidding yesterday about sending you a, a vote common good hat. Um, in fact, anybody who listens, if you want a vote common good hat before they're gone, just to say hey, I be want in a touch hat. and say yeah, hey, send send me a hat because we would rather have you have a hat that you wear um, than you know, a hat on hat. our shelves. Uh, the elf on a shelf. <laughs> Uh, all right, so lots of things happening in the world. We're going to talk about this notion brought to us by one of our guests on that very common good-a-thon, uh, Samir Samalovich. Samir has this great notion about getting rid of the hero narrative, the hero-villain narrative in our stories and replacing it with a, with a different one. So we'll talk about that in a bit, which I think is really important. You know, when I got into Christianity as a teenager... I was 16, didn't know the Christian history or story or anything, but I was really captivated by the narrative that was Christianity. It told me a different story about the world and life than the one that I knew. And that was really great because at that time in my life, teen, late teenager, uh, I was sort of looking for like, what's, what, what am I up to? You know, what's my thing? What, what, what do I do? I, I know the family I come from. I know the activities I do. I knew as a, you know, as a basketball player and a not very good student, uh, trying to put all that together and trying to find a, a way of life. And Christianity provided for me a large container in which to operate and a story that made sense for me and for my life. And I've always been compelled by Christianity because of that, right? That's a thing that I think is just powerful and, and really great. And uh, Christianity has a tendency to replace other narratives 
uh, uh, to insert other narratives in place of what I think is a, a better Christian narrative. So there's all kinds of competition depending on what kind of Christianity you've come from or what you've heard about of what you think uh, Christianity is. Well, Samir has this beautiful description of uh, an alternative to the hero villain narrative. So we're gonna we're gonna get into that in a little bit. And I just want to say, of, of all the news that we you know should be talking about and could be talking about this week, the fact that it will be next week before we have on astrophysicist Paul Paul Wallace, so we can talk about the James Webb photos uh, is, is really a shame. Uh, did you see any of these photos? Oh, yet, yeah. Dan? You... I saw everyone that they put out and they're incredible. Incredible. You just ha- I just have to tell myself looking at them, these aren't just a cool photo because I've seen lots of cool like space renditions. Yeah. You have to say to yourself, no, this is like what it actually looks like. This isn't an artist creating it. Right. This is, and it's also like time travel. Like we're looking billions of years back in time. And the crazy thing to me, I don't know if you've heard someone describe this, but I hope astrophysicist Paul Wallace can, because uh, I'll do a poor job. But we're actually using the James Webb Telescope. We're aiming it at basically a natural telescope. This cluster of galaxies that's so dense that it bends light waves around it. Oh, and so it's actually we're looking at this. It's like an extra lens that lets us look even further into deep space, and that's why some of these images, the galaxies are like bent or appear to have like a little tail because it's actually warped around this cluster of galaxies, letting us see like billions of light years beyond that. Even so, just just wild. And see, I'm still it. I know I won't I won't go down this rabbit hole. <laughs> but what is a light wave? No. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, what is a light wave and what direction is that light going and why of looking farther can we now see light that is it light that came from us and is going away or light that's <laughs> far away and coming toward us and why does it only and it, okay. If that's, that tantalizes are... you at all, now uh, <laughs> we, will, we will get to that. All right, let's talk with this. Uh, let's talk about this idea because Ben Johnson is saying in the chat that this is what he's been talking about too: is this narrative of getting beyond the hero and the villain. So, a little backdrop on this hero-villain stuff. Um, there's a way of describing the human experience um, as the hero's journey, right? So, so this this shows up a lot in descriptions of other religion and and society's sort of understanding of itself. When people talk about this, though, they sometimes speak of it as if it's the driving true narrative that you have to be born in a place and then, you know, the hero's journey narrative, you then leave your place of birth and then you return home with some new knowledge and then the people in your home space accept you or reject you and then you have to create a new space in which you can describe this this new world, and the it's fine. It's it it works. You know, it's uh, it's been popularized in twentieth century and twenty first century uh, narratives, and I think it explains a lot for people. Um, and there's something about us that likes the idea of a hero. We like the idea of a villain, and then we really like the idea of a superhero and a supervillain. So you kind of <laughs> have to you know you kind of have to yeah. have those. Watching the January 6th hearings yesterday, talking about how the former president of the United States was the one behind the January 6th organizing and coup and everything, like that narrative is just so in place because there really are villains and heroes in that. And and as with all heroes, uh, narratives, people always see themselves as the hero, right? So I think what went on with the whole Trump administration and the, the debacle on January 6th was the bad guys were running the White House, but they were on stages saying, we're the good guys, we're the people of light, and the other people are the bad guys. Yeah. And truth be told, you get into this good, by, good guy, bad guy narrative, it just goes nowhere. It's just really, um, uh, it's really troubling, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, nobody's ever just the good guy and rarely is anybody just the bad guy. Uh, that's just not a very workable uh, description. Most, of- most of the time, 
everyone's the hero of their own story. Like no one's parading around like, yeah, I am the bad guy, except for in movies, apparently. Yes, because the third option, right? Uh, heroes, villains are victims, and this is something that Samir brings up in the little five-minute video clip that we're gonna we're gonna play. And that's a really important piece because if you have a hero, you're saving something. And if you have a villain, you're attacking something. And as you say, people find themselves as the hero in the story. Sometimes they'll admit that they're a victim. Easier to say like, I, uh, uh, sometimes they'll see themselves as the villain, but it's easier to see themselves as, as a victim. All of us, right? Like the thing didn't go my way, just sort of happened to me. Um, you become a... Uh, affected by consequences, not of your own choosing, somebody else's actions that cause those things. Uh, I don't think it's a very psychologically healthy way to live, heroes, villains, and victims. Um, sometimes it's just accurate, but there's another story that we can speak of and tell. And curiously, Samir has this great introduction and, and way to offer this. But as it turns out, it's actually what the Hebrew Bible suggests that the people of the nation of Israel should see themselves as mm. foreigners in a land going on a journey. So what Samir suggests is that in place of the hero narrative, we have an immigrant narrative. Now, Samir is an immigrant to the United States himself. Um, and we're not talking here we do a lot of talking about immigration itself and, and so on. So I'm not talking about that. We're not talking about how people who come to the United States are really our heroes. So I'm not just swapping out the character of the hero for a different person that plays the, the hero and the hero is the immigrant. What Samir is suggesting is that there's a different way to approach the world that doesn't have heroes, villains, and victims, but rather sees all of us progressing in a way to live in a new space, in a new way, with new approaches, and that requires a certain set of skills that the hero, villain, victim narrative doesn't provide for us. And this is the thing that I think uh, is, is, really quite, is really quite powerful about it. So we got to hear this conversation last Thursday, and then we edited down this five-minute bit uh, for here. So when we cut to the video for the five minutes of this conversation, you're going to see three people on the screen. Uh, I'll be on there with Samir and then another person named Dodi, who in this little segment doesn't say anything. He's just sort of there uh, because <laughs> it's five minutes of, of a longer bit. But I thought this piece was worth pulling out. Dan, anything else that you remember uh, before we watch this again that you think of um, uh, as it relates to these this this hero uh, narrative? Yeah, I, I really appreciated it. And I'm glad I get to listen through it a second time to kind of soak it in because the you know the hero villain thing makes for good movies but yeah. it doesn't make for good communities <laughs> when we're fighting our literal neighbors uh, trying to figure out who's the bad guy in our yeah. you know school boards or whatever like that doesn't make for a, for a great way to live together so I'm I'm glad that the that this offers us a different way Totally. Yeah, that is such a great way to say it. It makes for great movies and maybe even great entertainment and maybe scratches an emotional itch that some of us have someplace. But that's not a good way to... There might be some lessons you can take from that. Like, I don't know, Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right, that's a, that's a fine one. Um, but this idea of find which category you're in and then put yourself and others permanently in that category. Right. Uh, is a really, really difficult one. All right, so Samir, is he makes reference to a project that he's working on. It's called the Turn Community. It's an online uh, offering that he's doing to help people find new ways to find new stories. And one of the operating metaphors is the story, of an the, the story that immigrants live through. And again, immigrants are people who've moved to a new land. So uh, without... Uh, saying too much before you hear what Samir says. When he speaks of immigrants, he uses the metaphor of people who move to another country and speak another language and live you know, in a different part of the planet. But it also can be the person who's in a life transition and you feel that you've now moved into a whole new space. 
that there's different language that you have to use, different way that you have to live. So immigration is, is a metaphor for the metamorphosis that we go through as human beings to live in other times and spaces. I actually think it's just the best way to think about spirituality as ourselves, as travelers in a new story that then find ourselves living in a new land and have to live in a new way. Uh, so lots to say about that, but we'll let Samir say all of it and then we'll just sort of, I don't know, talk over the top of that with other comments. <laughs> yeah, so here's Samir. Here we go. There are thousands of people who need support and a community and nothing that matters is going to happen alone. Nothing. And nothing that will actually change this is going to happen without surprise by who will be around the table when discoveries are made of what works. Uh, you know, whatever going to work is going to surprise us. So my goal is to create a context and a place where people can actually loosen up and create. Mm. Um, so organizing some sort of a, uh, a digital or hybrid or in real life community, we call it turn, um, that would help people make that turn, make that pivot uh, in their lives. You know, whether it is turned to a present moment, whether it's a turn to your own heart, whether it's turned to each other, uh, whatever, whatever that turn is for people uh, to make all of us being able to make this turn. So, um, and uh, you know, one of the turns that, that I really love that Dodi just mentioned is we are a nation of immigrants, right? Our whole American society is built on this idea of, uh, of a hero's journey. You know, we just have to have heroes. Everybody mm -hmm. wants to be a hero. Everybody's a John Wayne. Everybody is, you know, all of our metaphors and idioms in sports come from some sort of a violence thing. And yeah. this being a hero requires a victim and a villain. And if you have, you know, 300 million heroes, everybody wants to be a hero. We need so many victims. We need so many villains all the time. So I think that American myth has kind of run its course and we all just tired of it. I'm tired of it. I'm not looking for heroes. I don't want to be a hero. I want to embrace the ordinary life a little deeper. And, and the, 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 the metaphor I love is a metaphor, an immigrant in which it's not hero's journey, but immigrant's journey in which you and I are going to a place mm. we have never been before. Okay, hold on a minute. You just dropped one of those beautiful Samir bombs. It's not the hero's journey. It's the immigrant's journey that we're all moving well, to a new land and to live in a new place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole definition of where, where this hero journey has taken us. The, the, what you mentioned on an immigrant thing is I like it because immigrants, they need to learn a new language. They need to uh, be humble and work hard. They need to forgive a lot. They need to uh, explain themselves over and over and over again. They need to ask okay. a lot of questions. They know how to be awkward. They need to know how to be embarrassed. They get up early. They go to sleep late. They sing the songs and dance all night and annoy everybody else by the joy they have because they need to con hold their story together. They cannot yeah. just assimilate. They have to have their story. So I love that, that thing. So what we want to do is start an um, a, a online group that would allow our, our most beloved teachers to inspire us on a regular basis, uh, you know, and where we will be able to, um, these incredibly capable people to come together and work with ease and joy and get shit done, right? Mm. Instead of Amen. nervous, anxious energy that constantly yells and it's constantly frustrated. I can't tell you how many times I have heard in the last couple of months, somebody tells me, oh, that person, that person worked for Obama, you know, and such and such and such and such, but now they're out of politics. They don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. They are done right. with it. Huh. Thousands of people you know were active. They're gone. They're gone. And, and there is this energy of these spiritual migrants, refugees from evangelical church coming with all these capacities for art mm -hmm. and leadership 
that they are stepping to the public square, what we want to do is find a way to connect, um, you know, common gooders that were there in the public square all this time, and these new converts from from the church who are discovering a common good, uh, you know, uh, for themselves, right? And to meet in the middle. I think there will be some sort of a cross cross boundary boundary crossing between these different groups, people who believe in the common good and are willing to take some risks and are willing to sing and are willing to be happy. The risk, mm. having yeah. unwarranted hope, unwarranted hope, <laughs> hope that has no basis, but if you have it, it suddenly there's basis for it. That's great. Right. Because you have That's it. inspiring, Samir. That's inspiring. Yeah, so that's yes. what I'm excited about. I mean, seriously, it's it just packed. I, I mean, it's I've listened to it a couple of times. I've talked with Samir over years about this. He's done some of these that presentation on our uh, Volcom and Good Tour. I've heard it a lot. There's just so many things. I just started just writing I down. I know, I was just asked, writing like, down a list and literally couldn't keep up with all the good things. <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a litany of great lines one after the other. And, and there's a great notion in there, right? This idea yeah. of spiritual migrants. Mm -hmm. what, what, what was striking you, John? Uh, John? What was striking you, Dan? <laughs> I, I'm looking over here trying to find the, the link for the... Uh, for the anyway, go, yeah. go ahead. John. Yeah, I loved the, I mean, he just did this rapid fire of, of things immigrants need to do to, to survive and, and thrive. He said, one of them I thought was interesting was need to forgive a lot, need to ask a lot of questions. Um, and to me, that, that points to a humility. Like when you're in a new place, you don't approach it as someone who is in charge or knows everything, but you approach it with humility, which I think could be really helpful for a lot of us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then he says, uh, but immigrants also don't just assimilate, but they keep their own story. And I think mm -hmm. in a lot of families, like those immigrant stories are celebrated. You know, those literal, like, you know, my great, great, great grandparents came from mm -hmm. Germany on a boat with, you know, nothing to their name and, you know, made a life for themselves. Like we celebrate those stories. And I think in the same way, whether it's a literal story or a spiritual story, we can celebrate and pass on those stories as well. Yeah, it's, it's really the thing that when you think about the United States, there's kind of these two competing narratives that we say about it is, is this the hero journeys narrative of the United States? And Samir's great line, with 300 million heroes, you're constantly having to search for more villains. Yeah. I mean, what a great line! If, <laughs> if if that's the story that we're telling, that it's just you know, it's it's exhausting to mm -hmm. have to have to figure out who and how and why and investigate everything as the crime scene. Um, not to say there's not harm being done, but but what does one do about that? Like, what's the what's the tool bag? What's the skill set? What's the narrative that that you, that you find yourself in? The other narrative in the United States is that this is a nation of migrants, people who've come here from other places and indigenous peoples who've moved about this land and have had other people come to this land. And some people came to this land in this country by their own personal choice. Some were forced here for labor or their ancestors were. Some are being forced here now. Some have ended up with a legacy of a family that ended up in this country or where they live in this country for reasons that they don't even know or understand and can't you know, maybe honestly don't even have access to or care about uh, how they got it. You just sort of find yourself in this place. And so we know what it's like to live as people trying to figure it out um, and, and trying to keep that immigrant spirit alive, that migration spirit alive, right? That, that sense that you're, you're on the move and that you're going somewhere and you're, you're going to you're going to wind up somewhere. So here is this great line where he says, "So for spiritual migrants, we have to remember nothing will happen. Nothing good will happen alone." It's a really great, yeah. great phrase, right? Um, for yourself, for other, like, you're always going to have some. Now, some people are going to have thousands with them. Some people are going to have one. Some are going to have a dozen. You know, the the number doesn't matter. It's this notion that. 
whatever circumstance has gotten us to where we are is not the set of skills that are going to get us further. Right? This, is, this is one of the great insights of personal and spiritual formation is to recognize the experiences of your past and the interpretation of those experiences are what have you where you are now. To go further, you either need to reinterpret the experiences of your past, which is important. A lot of good work goes on there, a lot of psychological work, spiritual work to, to re-understand your own history and past, right? So most people who find themselves personally, cognitively, emotionally, spiritually stuck, for a lot of them, it's for a lot of us who go through this, you're not just having to bring in some new set of experiences. You actually have to re-understand, reinterpret, reintroduce your own history and memories. Right? It's a huge part of it. Um, you know, and sometimes that involves like, well, I was told things that just simply weren't true, or I was given the impression of something that uh, has stuck with me, and I've realized I don't have to think about it that way. Yeah. I'm, I'm, it's okay. I can I can let that go. I can do something else with it. Right. Sometimes you're just having to deal with what already exists. Right. But you have to do something different with it than what you did with it previously, or you're just going to pretty much, you know, stay stay where you are. The other option for transformation and growth and movement is some set of new in, endeavors. You try something. Try something new. Um, and you know, people. I'm not a psychologist or anything, but I, I think psychologists would would concur with this. When someone is emotionally or spiritually stuck, sometimes doing just other new things is what's most helpful to get someone to start moving, right? Truly doesn't even, doesn't even matter what it is. Um, as, as you know, Dan, I've, I've picked up playing guitar recently. So I have this guitar. Uh, That's guitar. right. One of the, uh, in fact, now there's even a Electric guitar. An electric guitar. Borrowed. Uh, Shelly won't let me uh, buy one. Um, not, not that, you know, I only do what she says, but, you know, happy, happy wife. Happy a little life. too rock and roll for Shelly. Yes, she's like, I, you, you're That's not a very good guitar music, player. And, and don't, don't make that one sound loud. <laughs> uh, like the last thing you do is be plugging, plugging it we in. We don't need this any louder <laughs> than it already is. Yeah, why don't you why don't you use something called an amplifier for your musical sounds that you're making in that basement? <laughs> That's a, sounds like a great idea. Uh, well, one of the guitar people I follow is this guy named Justin. He had this video in his video series that he just put up the other day because he's been listening to a podcast, and it was about neuroplasticity, what allows older people and for the, in that world it means 40 and up what does it allow somebody in the 40 and up cohort to develop new capacities and it has to do with keeping your brain active and new things and one of the things that you do that they do in neuroplasticity work before you start learning a new language or learning how to cook or taking a class or learning guitar or doing spirituality there's a set of practices body practices that you do that are meant that that are designed in such a way that they allow you to start to think differently and activate parts of your brain and get your brain moving. It's really quite fascinating. And it's very simple things. It's little touching, little tapping things, you know, with your fingers. It's standing mm. on one foot. It's a balancing exercise. It's doing things with your eyes closed. Like just the simplest little things of trying to engage your body because we all fall into patterns where we sit in the same way. Like if, if somebody took a photo or something of you all day long, they're going to be like, here's just your set of grooves that you're in. And you have neuro patterns that just put you right back into those grooves. Yeah. So the way you engage that is sometimes just simply by doing new things, right? Uh, so my point is, Sometimes becoming somebody who's pursuing something new as a learner, as an immigrant to a new land, to a new way, as opposed to like, how do I become the champion of this or the hero of this? Uh, you know, and look, the pressures for that are all over the place. Competition is just <laughs> built into our just constantly, you know, like, um, uh, is to just simply do new things, like go to new places, try new activities, do something different. So psychologists will say often, hey, if you feel emotionally stuck, spiritual formation people do the same thing if you feel spiritually stuck. 
just start doing some other things, right? Yeah. And funny enough, those people that are in systems that don't want people to change, a personal relationship sometimes resists change or churches that sometimes resist change or uh, politics that resist change. The one thing they want to do is make sure people don't ever do anything different, right? Like yeah. don't break your norm. Don't break your pattern. So we, we live in this weird experience as human beings where the way you get good at something is to create the pattern and to repeat it over and over. Mm -hmm. Someone who's learning guitar right now will say it's really important. So pattern formation, but the way you change is to break the pattern. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's, this, it's the craziest, craziest little thing. So, um, And realizing it, it, that as you're learning something new, as you're stepping out of those old patterns like you're going to make mistakes you're going to yeah. screw it up and like the way you learn guitar or a new skill is by like messing up so many times and then making constant little adjustments to get better it's a it can be a painful process and again to get back to what Samir was saying like you have to forgive a lot you have to forgive yourself a lot you yeah. have to offer yourself a lot of grace because it's going to be a, a messy, unsteady progress. Totally. And that idea of loosen up and get creative that he mentions, you know, ties into that, right? Yeah. Because for you to try something new, like just releasing the tension and a hero's narrative, heroes, villain, villains, and victims, and there's nothing more tense filled. Sometimes when I go on walks, like I did this morning, I listen to the news on my you know, uh, like an, an app or whatever. Um, and that's a really bad idea because, <laughs> and, and I just keep doing it over and over. Like, oh, I listen. To, this is a good time to yeah, consume. Yeah. 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 Here's a good time to like put yourself into a stressful situation because, <laughs> you know, stuff comes up that's newsworthy that is what the villains are up to and how heroes are stepping in and victims. And just today I was listening to the, you know, newly released video of Uvalde. Oh gosh, uh, Rob Elementary School. These tragic, tragic murders, and how the police didn't move in. And so I'm picturing this, and I'm just listening to the news stories. But I'm picturing it, and just the tension that is growing. Um, so how do you find a way to sort of let that go so that you can actually create something else? So that there can be movement and that there can be flow and that there that, that thing can be happening. That's really hard for people. And, and I'm not saying, hey, we should, you know, just hakuna matata the future and don't worry about the difficulty and pain or leave that up to somebody else. I think what Samir is suggesting is the better response to injustice, the better response to pain, the better response to structural difficulty is to find some new ways and some new patterns. And this hero, victim, villain narrative isn't, isn't working. But this idea of you know uh, finding a new language, working hard, forgiving, uh, asking a lot of questions, having to explain yourself over and over, feeling awkward and embarrassed, that list of things yeah. that, that, that immigrants go through is really important. Um, and, and so failure, as you say, is not just uh, like, oh, I'm not good at it yet. Failure is uh, an indispensable part of forward progress, right? It's it you you have to have it um, because it it shows that you're sort of pushing the pushing the boundaries. I think this is true of skiing. I, I remember. Uh, I didn't grow up really skiing, but I was pretty goodish, you know, whatever. Oh, and wow. I, I, was, I said to, yeah, okay, upper whoa, crust, wait. Doug. Well, wait, okay, well, yeah, for sure, <laughs> rentals, rental. Uh, I was just athletic enough to make it down the hill, and I remember saying to somebody I was skiing with, I was like, "Hey, man, I've done like three runs, and I didn't fall once." And he goes, "Oh, that's too bad." <laughs> and I said, "You know, like, oh, I thought that was like the point." He said, "Oh, oh no, like when you." When you get good enough at skiing, you push yourself far enough until you do fall, and then you know where that new line is. Like you can always stay back from falling. Uh, be cautious, be tense, yeah. all that. You know, he's like, but once you kind of loosen up 
and get good at it, then yeah, yeah, you'll fall, but you'll just pop back up and you'll just keep going and that gets incorporated. So falling was not the thing you were avoiding. Falling was the thing you were trying to allow to happen at the right moments. Mm. And I had created that as a failure narrative. Like, oh, no, yeah. the point is to get down the hill without falling. Like, like, what am I, in some race? Like, I'm trying to, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm racing down the hill. Um, so, so there's that, that, that space somewhere between one kind of success and another kind of success. Yeah, I like that. And this idea of being a spiritual migrant, I think is just so, and, and maybe I like it personally because I wasn't raised, I, Christianity was not a native language for me. So I wasn't raised in it. I had to learn all the concepts and all the phrases mm -hmm. and the subset of religious language that exists. Um, and and it, it was long been just confusing to me. And I was indoctrinated in a, in a world in which when I went to seminary, they're like, hey, and now what you need to do as somebody who's going to be a, a leader in this movement of Christianity is you now need to learn languages that nobody speaks anymore. Uh, <laughs> and an ancient Hebrew language and an ancient written language yeah. called Greek. So like literally for you to be good here in this world, you have to just learn the most obscure things because that was a way of, that was a way of mastery. Yeah. Right. And there was something ridiculous about it. Cause I'm like, why, why am I learning Hebrew and Greek? Like you think I'm going to, stumble across a word in the Bible in Greek and be like, oh, have this guy, you know, the past three semesters of Greek tell you what that means. I, no, I'm going to trust somebody <laughs> who no, knows. Like, yeah. if, I, if you're listening to me on that, that's, you know, we're all making a huge, huge mistake here. Right. Um, on the other hand, this idea that, hey, you've, there's a whole lexicon out there that you're not aware of. Mm -hmm. That was actually pretty helpful. It's the, it's the migrant narrative that you're like, yeah, wow. I don't really know how that, how that goes. I, I don't yet know the idioms. I didn't yet yeah. know the, the ins and outs. And so you reach a point where once you're comfortable and you know it, and it's your mother tongue, then you have to push yourself to sort of the next space and, and the next level. But it's all about growth and story and incorporation, not this other thing of victims and villains and yeah. Heroes. And, and look, you could tell the Jesus story as a, as a superhero story too. And I think it's been disastrous. I, I, last book I wrote, I have a whole section in here on how, if you have Jesus as your superhero, that is a devastating starting point mm -hmm. for the Christian narrative. Uh, if, but if you see Jesus as a full human being like everyone else who's calling humanity to a new way of life and a new set of practices that's not playing by a different set of rules than anybody else, That's a then it becomes a much more interesting one. Now, a lot of people will argue, well, then you're just, you know, you're doing funny stuff with the Bible and Christianity and all. <laughs> and I would say, well, actually, I think you might be doing funny stuff yeah. with the Bible and Christianity and all. I did, yeah. So, so maybe maybe we just agree we all are. You know, so let's start there. If we're right. all doing something funny with it, but this is a better funny thing to do with it. I think is to remove the the superhero narratives. Yeah. Because boy, once you end up in that, then you've got you know all kinds of dilemmas to to have to solve and, and what's what story you're up to and what what the reward system is and all the rest. Right. Because the reward system for immigrants is life in a future. Mm -hmm. For a superhero or a hero, the success is marked as what now? Well, Defeating you save the world, Doug. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean seriously, it's it's really yeah. Uh, it, it, so it, I, I don't know. I think there's I think there's something really uh, really powerful there. Yeah, and I think about you know the, the difference between the hero story and the immigrant story is who you're doing it with and for. Yeah. Like the hero is almost always alone. You know, I think about Batman or like maybe they have a, a sidekick or an assistant. Usually there's a wise guide like Yoda in the Star Wars movies. Yeah. But for the most part, everything relies on them and them alone to solve the problems of the world, the galaxy, whatever. But what's beautiful about this immigrant story is no, this is something we do together and you can't do it alone. Like when you come to a, a new country, um, you know, if you've ever been in a foreign country where you don't speak the language, you don't know your way around, you are so reliant on yeah. others. 
just to get from point A to point B and find food, order the right thing on the menu. Yeah. And so you're so interconnected and so reliant and it puts you in a place of, again, humility. Like you have to, you can't do it on your own Mm -hmm. uh, because you're going to make an even bigger mess of it. That's really great. Yeah, when the then the the other people around are resource as opposed to resistance mm-hmm. to whatever it is that you're up to. Um, yeah, see, there's really something in this, you know, and especially if you can broaden immigrant metaphor to all the places where we live in new spaces, right? So that right. someone who says, "Well, I've never traveled to another country, or I haven't done it in a way that like wasn't accommodating to my." You know, for me, for an American context, you know, it wasn't sort of set up well for you know, people who think and speak the, the way that I do. Well, there's a whole lot of other ways that you've sort of migrated in your spirituality. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, you know, friend of friend of ours and friend of the podcast, Brian McLaren, you know, has this great metaphor in this book that he calls the Great Spiritual Migration, and he talks a, a bit about this too. I think Samir has a has a very poetic way of talking about it mm. uh, uh, that you know he he lays out there and this this turn community that they're getting ready to launch this fall so I know people are asking in the chat about how they can be part of that project that some years working on it'll be coming soon Volcom and goods gonna have a big part in it we're gonna be pushing it out to to, to others as well um, and you know the other thing that's that's that strikes me about this Dan from from your your thoughts here on shifts other people's role. You become dependent as opposed to the one that others are dependent on, right? Mm -hmm. Like it really inverts that that thing. Um, It makes, it equalizes the migration story narrative, metaphor does. It, It equalizes the youngest and the oldest in some really important way, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because you're both approaching the world with a sense of, openness and learning and, and need. Um, yeah. And, and others can be part of your, uh, older people can be part of your future just like younger people can. Where in the hero narrative, it feels like you kind of got a little window <laughs> of time, right? right? When are you going to make your impact on the world? And I get all that stuff and it mm-hmm. drives, it drives a lot of things. And it's an important part of the human condition. It's just not the great, it, it should be flavoring or, you know, it should be a garnishment on the plate. It shouldn't be the meal, you know, that, yeah, there's, there's going to be a moment where someone's going to do something unique and great and, you know, you're going to be the change you want the world to, to, to see and all that stuff for sure. Yeah. That, that should be like onesies and twosies, like that time you did something great. <laughs> because Samir's little, little line, I think he said, um, uh, I don't want a superhero's life. I want an ordinary life that goes a little deeper. Yeah. That was just a great line. You know, he just, he just walks around with these things. And I'm like, Samir, <laughs> just say this stuff more, more often, you know? Um, you know, whether you turn to your present moment or you turn to your own heart or you turn to another, you don't have to ask to be a superhero just to live your ordinary life a little bit deeper. Man, that is... Uh, a really, uh, I don't know. It's a great way that doesn't, I, I guess the migrant story is a nice alternative to the other story that sometimes people insert in place of a hero narrative, which is um, uh, uh, just kind of enjoying life, right? Like, hey, I'm just going to, I'm just gonna, you know, life's a beach, man. I'm just gonna kick my sh- <laughs> kick my sh- shoes off and and enjoy the sand and kind of just live, you know, like mm-hmm. like some ordinary person. That because I don't want to have to sh- do all the hero business nonsense. But then on the other hand, well, you do want your life to have some function and some meaning and something. So what? Well, the 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 migration narrative kind of fits that, like it's growth and it's development and you're finding a way of ease and you're finding a way of finding a way of, of deepening your life. And I, I don't know, it just, I guess that that's the thing that feels like it fits with the Hebrew scripture narrative. Actually, that's what I was getting at before we saw the video that the way that Jews talk about the Hebrew people's story through the Bible 
is that they were a people in search of a promised land and they were having to live as foreigners in other lands. Mm -hmm. And then they had to be accommodating to the foreigners in their own land. Yeah, so there's the always thing, these reminders of remember you were once foreigners yourselves. Yeah. So don't be don't be cruel to the foreigners in your midst. Yeah, and and like one way is like, oh, it sucks to be a foreigner, so be nice to those people or, you know, but for the grace of God there go I. Kind mm -hmm. of narrative, right? Like, oh boy, don't, don't don't end up as an immigrant. The other way to hear that is that is the way that this whole community, nation, whatever came into being. Never forget that. Yeah. Like welcome them, not as charity, but as the living reminder of how you ought to be in the world. Mm -hmm. Such a totally different way of taking that same story and, and reminders and all. And I actually think that's how, and then for the Jewish people, right? Through time, they've been like, boy, it, we have just felt homeless all the time, mm -hmm. you know, all the way up until 1948 when the creation of a, of a state, of a country, uh, the nation of Israel, where, the, where there could be a homeland. But then the majority of Jews still don't live there. And even that place is not all th that it was, you know, sort of, it's not free from the same immigrant, immigrant narrative. So this 5,000 year of human history narrative told through that lens that leads to then to Christianity and to Islam and to the, you know, the three major Abrahamic religions, they're all built around this reminder that the human impulse is to live in a new way, to live in a new land. It's actually what Jesus calls the kingdom of God, right? Like, don't live in this one kingdom or in this other kingdom, but live inside the kingdom of God. And you're an immigrant always into the, into the kingdom of God. And the people there are going to come then from many tribes and many languages and all that stuff, right? It's always a coming in mm -hmm. of difference and of people. And so sameness and security and protection, those are all hero stories. And... Uh, openness and flow and inclusion and creation and surprise and all of that. That's always the, it's always the immigration story. Yeah. Yeah. Like I find all this very compelling. <clears throat> I wonder for folks who are still sort of in that hero story, like security frame of mind, like, will this be compelling or will they just shake their heads and like, oh, I don't, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> totally. I don't like to travel. Yeah. <laughs> You're saying you have to move to Portugal? I'm not, I'm not moving to, I'm not going to the Sudan. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. And I think that is the, um, I think that is the question, right? Is how many people want to approach the world in the way that's full of, you know, surprise and community and letting go and a lack of promise. But what, a, what did Samir call it? Un, un, unwarranted uh, hope. Unwarranted hope. That, you, that hope only becomes warranted because you have it. Hmm. Not because a set of circumstances gave you permission for it. Yeah. That's not everybody. And Narrow is like, the path that leads to life, one might say. <laughs> and it seems like a lot of immigrant stories start with catastrophe or being forced to leave the place oh, of your home. Yeah. Uh huh. I wonder if that has something to do with it, even on the spiritual side as well. Like a lot of people aren't leaving willingly. Like there, yeah. there's something that happened that that breaks their worldview, and things can no longer be the same. And they're forced to go on this journey. Yeah, totally. Not a lot of people like lining up to, you know, go on this journey willingly. I don't know. And and right, so you're getting this like that's the difference between vacation. <laughs> yeah, it's not the vacation journey. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna get to something here. That's the difference between like vacation and migration, right? Because as long as you can go home. And have a ticket back. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, you can go and have an experience. Nothing wrong with that. Totally get it. Might remind you of the other places in your life where your where your migration is one way. You're not you're not coming back. Um, you know, you've 
there's there's no return ticket. Yeah, you burned the bridge, whatever whatever metaphor you want around that, and that's true of a, of a lot of people. So I think that the you're getting at something here that the choice of oh I now want to live a migrant story in my spirituality as opposed to a hero's journey story. Um, that might not so much be a choice as it is. Well, that explains it better. Right. You know, that's that's a better way to get after this and a better way to think about it than the way I have been looking at it and thinking mm-hmm. about it. Because I know that even for a lot of people who do migrate themselves, they don't always see that as a fundamental explaining metaphor for their life, mm-hmm. right? There's people who've, you know, had to go live in other places and learn new life, and it didn't become an operative metaphor at all. One of the things that Samir, I think, is doing so powerfully is introducing that lived experience as a guiding experience for how one could live. Right. Like making it into a into a good thing and a positive thing and mm-hmm. something that can that you can learn some clues from. Because heroes, okay, so let's let's get to this heroes thing. There's some project I, I just heard about with where people are awarded money because there's like a committee that that they, uh, determines that they did something heroic. Hmm. We talk about this on this podcast. No. So anyway, there's there's like a foundation that's been put together and people who would have done something heroic and they have a committee that looks at it and it has to meet a certain set of criteria and so on. And I saw a bunch of interviews with people who were receiving this year's award, like 17 people or something like this. Every one of them said, I don't see myself as a hero. Uh-huh. There was the, the car went into the river. There was a person who was in trouble. I acted. I did a thing. I gave a kidney. Like whatever it was that was then determined as, hey, that behavior right there, that's the thing we want to cheer on. Some one of these big foundations that's been giving money away for a hundred years mm-hmm. uh, is, fund, is funding this thing and there's a director. And the director said, yeah, we hear this all the time. The people who experience it say, I don't see myself as a hero. Like that's kind of one of the true ramification or what one of the true identifications of of a heroic act is a person's like <laughs> i didn't do it to be a hero i you know i did that, yeah that, that, that. did it because it was the right thing to do right whatever. yeah but we pick up this story and, and even the ones that we use in, in as the you know the the fictional hero stories that are designed to to guide us we all know that's not, re- nobody wants that life, right? Like there's always the dark side. You just want the the upper, the upper end side. So, you know, the Joseph Campbells of the world who are like, look, there's some guiding metaphors for human beings and this is how this goes and how you explain your life. And it's all, it's all fine. They don't always work. It's not really that <laughs> accurate. You know, like, let's just be blunt about it. Um, so it's just as well to pick a different, metaphor that has a different set of skill sets than find yourself in the right circumstance at the right time where you happen to have all the resources that you need to act in a way that then makes the world better for other people. Pretty rare occurrence. Right. As opposed to the one that says, oh, live in a way where you have to find new partnerships. You have to be surprised all the time. You have to live through some kind of embarrassment. You have to develop new skills. You have to know that whatever got you here only got you here. It isn't going to sustain you here. And you have to mm-hmm. build new alliances and find new ways. Like that feels much more like life, frankly, you know, uh, when one looks at their life, whether it's, oh, I, I moved to a new town or I got married and now I'm living with this other person in this house and we're making a family. I don't know how to do any of this stuff. Now I'm the dad. What am I doing as the dad? I'm not the dad. <laughs> uh, how do, right? Those are all like there's a better way to describe those than be the kid's hero, be the hero's dad, be the, you know, be that leader of your family, mm-hmm. uh, whatever, you know, like, hey, how about I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, this is, you know. Yeah. This how is about we're all hard. in this together, and we're gonna make something better together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not saying it was, you know, the, the greatest greatest dad. My kids would, you know, assert that as well. But you know, we we were trying, and I remember our, our when our kids were like getting the ages, maybe 13, 14, 15. 
where the things they would do that were that I felt like as a parent you had to like have some consequences for them, mm-hmm. right? Because they were just getting increasingly severe, and and you just feel like that's kind of your role in this whole thing. And like, okay, now mm-hmm. I, you know, there's a thing that sort of has to there has to be a consequence. And I remember our, our kids would get in trouble for some thing, and they would immediately, rightly, as any human being would want to know, like you're in a court of law and you want to you know, turn to page 712 of the statute book and find out what's the punishment for this thing that I did. Like, are we talking about a misdemeanor? Are we talking about a felon? <laughs> like, like how, how long am I grounded or, or mm-hmm. what's going to happen? And I remember saying to, to my kids, like, look, I don't know. I didn't wake up today <laughs> with a plan for if you, you know, do such and such, then this is going to, I've got to go figure this out. I got to go, right. we got to make this up. I don't know what we're going to do about, well, that's not fair. What's, what's the consequence going to be? Like the demand. I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, I, I don't know. Give me a minute. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to figure it out. And usually, you know, we'd, I would come up with something that was like, you know, overly severe. And then we would, then we'd back it off. <laughs> And they'd be like, he'll, he's negotiable. Like he'll right. negotiate down at some point, you know, uh, because I, because I didn't know. Right. So parenting became this immigrant like space where hang on. I don't know how you do this. I don't know how this is supposed to go, but unlike other parts of life where you're like, well, I don't know who's going to figure this out. Some things in life, parenting is one of these, you have to figure it out. <laughs> like there's, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. you, you, the, the, staring you, you in the face, you don't get to, yeah. Because if out. you don't do something, it's something like the, the, just you're you're in. You're just mm-hmm. you're just immediately in it, and that's that. And nowhere is the hero narrative helpful there. Like, oh, how did that go? Most of the time, it's like I don't know. That just that just didn't really go all that great. Yeah. Um, you know, I. So that failure thing is not just like oh you know push yourself hard and push beyond your limits like I was suggesting earlier. It's actually something much more profound, which is yeah I don't know I have no idea how this is how this is all supposed to go. But then at some point you don't want to just live in that like you want to move on to the next things mm-hmm. right of that you know, so you figure it out and then you move on to the next. And well, you, then you figure some things out and then you see someone else in your community. Yeah struggling with the same questions you had a year right. ago or 10 years ago. Right. And so you're able to offer some guidance or perspective mm-hmm. or, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Look, look, you can make it. You, we can, you know, this is workable. If, if you didn't see people in, in who had migrated to other countries, people who have moved and reestablished life, you might say to yourself, it's just not possible. It's better for everyone just to stay in their own place. But humanity's story has been, no, it's all over the place. That's mm-hmm. actually how our genome has expanded and allowed human beings to survive, is that we left and found new people and created whole new life with other people who are different, which is another piece of the immigrant story that you end up just branching out into so many other peoples where over time, the connection between everyone, which now we see, you know, through the genome project and and ancestry.com and 23andMe and all that, how, how much the human species is actually diverse and interrelated, actually interrelated. Mm -hmm. It's, It's quite, it's quite amazing. So there's even a creative thing that happens that's only made possible when people leave and become dependent and, and remake themselves with, with someone else. Yeah. I think another beautiful thing about the immigrant story is oftentimes it's only by looking back hmm. years later that you can see how far you've come. And even in your family or like your, your grandparents or relatives, like we're doing a lot of like Ancestry.com stuff, like looking at you know distant family members and piecing together their stories, uh, and you you look at where they started and where they ended up, and you're like, oh my gosh, like you really you made something out of nothing, hmm. and you went so far, yeah. But they they wouldn't call themselves heroes, you know they wouldn't they wouldn't brag about it. It's just like oh yeah, we were just 
we're just trying to make a way mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. make it up as we went kind of thing. Yeah, that's a great phrase, just trying to make a way. And, and, and probably would say we were just trying to live a normal, ordinary life. Right. Like the ordinary life. That, that feels like the, I don't know, the great prize, right? Can you mm-hmm. just live a full, enjoyable life that kind of has all the, all the pieces to it um, that you want to have, which should involve, you know, other people and care for the marginalized. You know, like there's just a set of things that should yeah. go into someone when they say like, what's the good life you're looking for? Because mm-hmm. we do this funny thing in our society where like we name the good life as if it's, I don't know, just void of all conflict, like still waters or something, which I, I guess, but mo- most people actually deeply want something more than that. They want to be right. integrated and useful and beneficial and, mm-hmm. and, and full of care and carefree. Like you want all that, you want all that stuff, which... Which is a migrant, a migrant story. You know, we, we, Dan, you and I, have, having spent time along the U.S.-Mexico border, we're with migrants in the most conflicted moment of the migrant experience. Yeah, right. People who are trapped in between, couldn't go home because they left a place that was dangerous, mm-hmm. couldn't get to a place of safety, and were stuck in limbo. Yeah, and that's what we saw along, you know, our We the People ride and all that. Which, if you want to see any of those stories, our YouTube channel has a whole set of videos and we're making a documentary out of this you can hear these stories yourself that's a difficult place to be mm-hmm. and not to make you know example out of real pain i'm not trying to do that at all but that's the kind of experience a lot of people actually feel that they're in emotionally spiritually that they're trapped in this in-between space they can't go back and they don't know that they can that there's anywhere to go forward and they're living in some sort of a you know a, a immigrant camp somewhere where there's no, they're just waiting. They mm-hmm. just feel stalled out. I know a lot of people who feel that way about their, especially about their spirituality. A lot of, a lot of North American Christians feel that way about their spirituality that yeah. they're just, just And oftentimes, crap. you know, along that border ride, we would, the best way to describe what these people were willing to do for their families was to call them heroes. Like these were heroes of their families. But I don't think it fits that hero villain victim narrative. That's just the best word we had for it. Like we need a better word than, than that, like a trailblazer or a, I don't know, but that's right. But what they were doing was so important and so brave. Yeah that all we could say was like, wow, this is heroic what you're, what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the problem with this dominant hero's journey narrative in our lives is that it, it takes up all the space and we don't end up with a nuanced understanding of this person who's doing something really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, that's based on all this other set of assumptions, not on these. Yeah. More, more typical ones. All right. Uh, other things in the comments we should be, uh, should be looking at? Uh, Peggy asks, so if there is a way I can help with this idea besides money's as support of VCG, uh, oh, yeah. I'm guessing we'll roll that out when it gets closer to the launch for Samir, right? Yeah. When this thing, when this thing becomes publicly available this fall, uh, there'll be lots of ways that you can be involved in, in it. You can... You know, it's it's a it's like a curated community of people that are going along this process as we go. So there'll be lots of ways, um, none of which involve giving Woke Common Good any money. But as long as we're talking about that, uh, <laughs> if you do have money and you want to give it, it's not going to help. This, it's not going to help this project, but it's still <laughs> the right thing to do. And and we will send you a hero button, um, which I guess we should create. Uh, yeah. Um, All right. Well, is that good for the day? I think it's great. All right. Happy spirituality, all. And, you know, find your surprise out there. Unqualified hope? No, no, not unqualified. Unwarranted. Unwarranted hope. I wrote that down. Yeah. Be on the lookout. There's a song coming. Is there a song (laughs) coming for unwarranted hope? Uh, I hope so. I think that could be a good thing. 
All right, friends. Well, uh, Dane, you're going to the Wild Goose Festival tomorrow. Yeah. So whatever happens here on this channel, you uh, you won't be on one. Speaking of, you know, spiritual migration and spiritual exiles, I feel like Wild Goose is a, a collection of people who are trying to figure out a new story for themselves and their families and their spirituality. So I'm really excited to be, be there and be a part of it. Enjoy. Yeah. Enjoy. Can't wait to hear all the good reports come out. All right, I'll, we'll see you some other time tomorrow or after. Mm-hmm.